0: Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of In the Shadows, an immigration policy podcast where we shed light on a system failing in the shadows. This episode discusses U and T visas as another option for survivors to seek legal status. We'll also discuss policy concerns involved in obtaining these visas with Caleb Arnold, um, who's with us here today. Hi, Caleb. Hi. Thank you for joining us today. Um, we
1: just want to start off asking you, just you know, how you got to where you are today, what brought you to this field, um, and just generally your qualifications.
2: Sure. Um, I actually entered law school knowing that I wanted to be a public defender. I had been a community activist and prison abolitionist for um, a long time, kind of like as a student and as a young adult. And so I went into law uh, having done a lot of community organizing uh, and also witnessing the impact that incarceration has on both individuals and communities. And so when I graduated, I was a public defender in Colorado uh, for a few years. And then I came back to Philadelphia, which is where I I was in law school here in Philly. Um, And, you know, like I kind of got into immigration so As life changes and I needed to switch gears, we, I started a family and, uh, for a variety of reasons, needed a job that had a little bit more flexibility, but was still really interested in advocacy driven work. And so I started working uh, in immigration, doing family immigration and removal defense. Uh, So kind of like switching gears, but still representing people and trying to help them navigate either defensively in removal or through affirmative petitions with USCIS. And then when Larry Krasner uh, ran for office as district attorney here, here in Philadelphia, he asked me whether I would be interested in taking on this position that hadn't existed yet, uh, in Philadelphia and is pretty rare in general for a district attorney, which is to have immigration counsel. And I had worked for Larry when I was a law student as his kind of like law clerk person. (laughs) Um, and So we knew each other, and I was honestly really reluctant at first because um, I just had been advocating on behalf of people my whole career and had a lot of reluctance about, you know, switching sides or joining an office that ultimately sent people to prison, right? Um, But I was convinced to join and take on this work. And so I started about five years ago, just a little over five years ago now, um, at the district attorney's office as immigration counsel. And in that role, I have multiple hats, right? So I do look at cases where people have been accused of crimes who are non citizens to see if we can offer an immigration neutral alternative that. Uh, Holds them accountable, but doesn't add the additional penalty of removal. Uh, And then I also do work to support victims of survivors of crimes who are not citizens, which is what we're talking about today.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, So I guess we'll just start with talking about U-Visas. Could you describe what a U-Visa is and who's eligible to receive one?
2: Yeah, a little bit. So a U visa is basically for people who are uh, direct or indirect victims or survivors of a delineated set of crimes that are is kind of a list, there's a list of them in statute, right? Uh, and you have to have information about the crime and have to be helpful or will be helpful you know in case uh the prosecution or the investigation hasn't really started yet um to law enforcement um there's other certain kind of like admissibility qualifications also but uh, there's a lot of waivers so i don't really want to get into the nitty-gritties about those levels of qualifications right but in terms of like your baseline qualifications for a you it's being the victim of a qualifying crime um having experienced substantial physical or mental harm or abuse um and then having helpful information to law enforcement and then if asked providing that law enforcement. And the U visa does require as part of the petition that you submit to have a law enforcement certification that's signed by somebody in that jurisdiction to confirm uh, that you meet those baseline criteria. Um, Not the harm part, the person who is kind of like petitioning submits that information. If law enforcement has information about harm, you can certainly put that in the certification, but Um, that part is not the law enforcement responsibility.
1: And if someone were um, to think that they were eligible for a U-Visa, right, what would the application process look like for them? How would they get that started?
2: Sure. I really think that it is important to find representation for a U-Visa. Technically speaking, anybody can apply on their own, but the... Application is complicated, and if you don't successfully complete your petition, it can get denied, or you can get requests request for evidence, so it'll be delayed, and they're usually for reasons that if you have somebody who's trained to do this and does it all the time, it's going to make it a lot smoother. And then depending on who's in office, uh, if your sit is denied, you can be put into proceedings Uh, For removal or not. So, under the Trump administration, people with unsuccessful use were then placed into proceedings. Under the Obama administration and under the Biden administration, that's not happening, but there's such a long backlog when you apply, you do not know who's going to be in the office in the future. So, I always recommend locating uh, an immigration attorney who can at least sit down with you and do a consultation to vet your eligibility. Make sure that that's the right course of action and then help you with your petition. And I know that paying for an attorney is pretty onerous for a lot of uh, immigrants and there are a number of nonprofit organizations that assist with either pro bono or low bono services. Uh, And in Philadelphia, there's a number of them, right? So there's a lot of different avenues that you can get that support without having to pay a bunch of money. Uh, although there there's a, a lot of talent in immigration law in this area. And so there are certainly qualified attorneys who have sliding field fees who could also take that on. So that would be my first thing is to find somebody to help you get started. Um, and then you're going to want to like give them all the information that you have and You know, sometimes it's surprising what qualifies. You, like, think you have to be, you know, like, oh, like, you know, I wasn't, like, physically assaulted or I don't have, like, a huge, like, physical injury. Or maybe it's something a lot of survivors uh, who are survivors of, like, domestic abuse don't even realize depending on their cultural background that like what they're experiencing is illegal right or maybe they were too afraid to report it to police but there are ways if you're represented that you can kind of overcome these initial barriers you can recognize that you're eligible maybe for a visa and then if it didn't quite work out that you didn't like complete all the steps that you needed to there are some steps you can take like i've had people who have like reported Wait, like no, this didn't happen like yesterday, but it did happen several months ago. It's okay to go ahead and still make a police report in that instance. Or maybe you did. You went and got a civil uh protection from abuse order, but you didn't follow through with criminal proceedings, that civil protection from abuse is sufficient, you know? So it really depends on your situation as to how you navigate those next steps. Um, The one part, like I said before, that is required is that law enforcement certification, which is what I do for my office. That It's an I-918 supplement B, um, which is a a required part of your petition.
0: Okay. Um, So talking about that certification piece, um, what are some issues that can happen with certification for a U visa?
2: Sure. So both U and T have a certification component, but it's only required for the U. So I do certify on T cases too. Um, but in terms of the the things that come up, I think the biggest barrier is uh, who you're asking to certify, right? Here in Philadelphia, as a welcoming city, there's policies in place with both the police department and our office for U visa certification and so it tends to be pretty straightforward. Uh but there are other jurisdictions that just generally don't certify use or have a whole secondary set of parameters that aren't part of uh The requirements for U visa certification, or the guidelines that the government puts out for law enforcement agencies in terms of, like how to certify cases, um, that they use to place additional criteria on people. So I think the biggest hurdle is like where did the harm occur, and how difficult will it be to work with your LEA? I think again another reason why you might want representation is that. Anybody who has jurisdiction over the case can certify. So in jurisdictions where there may be additional barriers, you know, maybe the um, police are really reluctant to certify, but you can get the district attorney and board. Or if you filed for a PSA, maybe the judge will be willing to sign it. You know, there's a long list of people who are certifiers. and. So finding the avenue, right? Like who's willing to certify. Um, The other tricky part is that there's a question on the certification about whether you ever weren't helpful. So in a lot of cases, we see people initially helpful with law enforcement filing that initial report. But when it comes time to coming to, to court and testifying, we have a lot of people who are reluctant. And they're reluctant for lots of reasons. Maybe they're missing too much work and it's just too onerous to kind of like come back to court. Maybe it is a case where they've um, resolved the conflict on their own outside of court and they no longer want to come. Or maybe it's a situation where they're just scared, they're scared to come uh, to court because they're either scared of the defendant or they're scared of immigration. You know, like there's a lot of people who are afraid of ICE enforcement and courthouses are people are places that people are particularly worried about coming to, and so if you don't come to court, and then the case just gets dismissed, uh, getting your U visa uh, approved becomes much more difficult. It's not necessarily impossible, depending on the reasons, but it does add a a, a pretty big additional hurdle. Um. And then other than that, you know, like I think like some of them are, you have to document your harm. Um, And so there may be additional steps that a person may need to take in order to have sufficient evidence. So it may be something where they've been kind of making a do without a lot of support, but now they need to get. Um, they're encouraged to either get like a mental health evaluation or seek some sort of counseling to better determine like how the criminal incident impacted them and what the harm actually is. I think um, depending on what the qualifying crime is, right, there can be some shame about talking about what the impact is or um, some cultural differences that make reaching out for different kinds of help a little bit more difficult. So securing up that like last component of the U visa can sometimes be a challenge.
1: I know you mentioned before that if a case for a U visa application is to be dismissed, um, you know, the applicant, um, or in this case, the immigrant runs the risk of being put into removal proceedings. And that's scary. And that is a reason why they might, you know, Refrain from applying for a U visa, and so I guess my next, my next question for you is: If the certification does fail, what other options are there for the U visa applicant?
2: If their U visa application fails,
1: yes, if they're unable to get it certified,
2: yeah. So this is the trick, right? Like some people that qualify for use also qualify for T's. And so it may be that, you know, you're thinking of like yourself as the survivor of a delineated crime, right? But it may be that uh, it also qualifies under the definition of trafficking and you would be eligible for a T, which does not require certification. But a lot of people are getting to use because use are the only thing left to them. You know, you have to remember that there are only so many use issued a year. There's 10,000. There's an enormous backlog. So even once you file, you're without status for a really long time. Right now, they are offering deferred action and work authorization for people that applied in 2016. Um, So they're not getting approved yet, but they're getting their initial we've reviewed this and we think spatially it's sufficient. So we're going to like at least give you work authorization while we complete reviewing your U visa. Right. And so if people have other alternatives open to them, they usually go there. And a lot of people for use may have had other avenues of, of relief, right through family petitions or some other kind of waiver. Um, but the only way that they can overcome a a bar that they have to inadmissibility is through the U visa waivers. Um, and so they are often your last chance of finding a way to having status here in the United States.
0: That's crazy to me. There's just the backlog for U visas right now. Um, We're working with some clients and we're telling them five years until we hear something. And that is such an immense amount of time for somebody to be just like basically in limbo, not knowing what's going to happen. So you mentioned T visas, so we'll kind of move on to that. What is um, a T visa and who are T visas meant to protect?
2: Yeah, so T D says, also the CAP, there's 5,000 of them that are issued a year. Um, for a long time, they were less common, and so their backlog was, like, less intense. They kind of caught up, though. So once people figured out how T's work, T's are similar to use, um, but the parameters for T's are different. So you have to be the victim, of labor or sex trafficking as defined federally. Um, That has to be, the trafficking has to be kind of like why you're in the United States. Um, You have to have completed any reasonable request for assistance from law enforcement, but if law enforcement hasn't asked you for help, then that's fine too. Um, And you have to have suffered extreme hardship. Um, And there's some additional language about that, that if you're deported. So there's this kind of like hardship um, requirement in addition. Um, I think a lot of people who are applying for use have to meet a hardship requirement as part of a waiver. So I think if somebody is already looking at trying to overcome that, as part of a waiver for use and looking at it as part of a TV, so it doesn't seem as onerous. Um, but if not, it is an additional requirement that you have to be able to overcome. I think T's are definitely, even more so than you, uh, these things you do not want to pursue without an attorney uh, because of these requirements. And you want to make sure that you're meeting the definitions and the evidentiary standards for each of these pieces. Um and then so the trafficking ends is like I said defined federally and they're pretty broad definitions, you know. Um you don't have to kind of like meet these these kind of uh stereotypical images we have about, for example, what sex trafficking looks like. A lot of times the there is a, an aspect of like control or coercion, um, that happens. So it can be, for example, that, you know, that you aren't, um, allowed to leave the house or somebody's keeping all of your documents for you and you're not able to access them. You know, your passport's been locked away. All of your wages are being garnished or most of them are being garnished, um, so that you continue to work and pay off some sort of, like, debt that somebody agreed to. Um, So there's all kinds of fact scenarios that meet the definition. So if you, like, look at the federal definition already, it's pretty broad. But really, you kind of need to both look at how that definition gets played out in case law, and then also... Uh, kind of like chat with attorneys that do this all the time so you can kind of get a sense of like, oh yeah, that worked for me or like I made this argument and it was successful or, you know, I really wasn't sure that the trafficking definition was going to work out because of this factual definition and it was. And so I think among the immigration lawyer community there are there's a lot of kind of like knowledge about what's worked. So if you're an attorney and you're newer then you know, getting on the ALA listserv and being like, hey, I'm working on a trafficking case and I want to, like, see if anybody's had experience with this fact pattern and ways that I can be successful in this application, you know? Like, because there is, there's a lot of knowledge. There's no, like, appeal or anything, so you're not going to read about it in a, you know, in a legal opinion or something, but there's just kind of, like, a group knowledge held by the legal community.
1: So... I want to just quickly run back to the hardship aspect of it. Can you expand a little bit more on what one would have to prove um, for the hardship for it to be successful?
2: Yeah, uh, let me just pull up the language. So you have to suffer extreme hardship involving unusual and severe harm if removed from the United States, right? So it has to be beyond kind of like the typical hardship of returning home. and that can be established in lots of ways. You know, hardship is is most successful when you can talk about it through someone's health, right? So either, like, a mental harm of return or an actual, like, physical harm of return, like, um, I'm going to be going back into um, an even more abusive situation or... Uh, you know, like going back would create this mental harm. But there are lots of ways that you can talk about extreme hardship. It's looked at in the aggregate, so you don't need one single factor to create extreme and unusual hardship, right? It may be that multiple things put together would create hardship. Um, and those can be like, Losing community ties, losing access to needed medical care, um, stigma that you would face as kind of like a victim if you returned to your home country, uh, financial loss is not compelling on its own, but it can be used to augment other kinds of hardships. Uh, so, really, kind of like weaving together all of the multiple ways um, that you would be impacted. So, that you can demonstrate that this wouldn't be just, I mean, a typical removal, right? I think when I think about uh, establishing hardship, I think that if everybody had an attorney, most people could reach this goal, right? Because we talk about typical hardship, but we know that everybody's experience is so vast and buried, and the majority of the people who have ties to the United States, you know, or have connection or have survived something um, really challenging, if we dig deep enough into their lives and their stories, we have a really compelling story to share. And if we can document that in a meaningful way, then even though it's kind of a pain to do, you know, like piecing everything together, um, sometimes... Um, usually, or at least a lot of the time, like the story is there for us to tell. Um, and I think in these cases, when we're talking about trafficking, sometimes what's challenging, right, is uh, supporting a client who is, has experienced trauma because we need to work with them in a trauma-informed way um, and sometimes, as lawyers, that can be hard because we're usually overworked and we don't have a lot of time and we're working on deadlines. And so we're like, come on, come on, come on, I just need your story, right? And um, we know that uh, survivors of trauma need time, uh, they need to develop trust. We need to revisit their story more than one time. Um, and that a building to have that time in for you that you advocate for your client is going to be really necessary to get at what you need to, uh, to know what's going on for them and to be able to write compellingly about their hardship.
0: I think that it's real. There's two things that you bring up that are really important to me. And one is the storytelling aspect of this, like giving clients the opportunity for their story to be heard where maybe it wouldn't have been before um, but also this trauma-informed lawyering piece because I think it is not necessary it's definitely something that I think in all areas of law can be practiced um, and make us better attorneys but it's not necessarily something that's focused on in law school um, which I think is a huge problem for those of us that may not be going into big law or like the traditional legal track we might be doing public interest work Um, and anytime you're dealing with survivors um, of anything it's really important so I think that that's definitely an area where we need to kind of change the way that we're educating attorneys moving forward.
2: Yeah, I agree. I actually think it's important for all attorneys because you don't know who you're going to, like, meet in the future. And even if you're representing corporate clients, like, that doesn't mean that somebody hasn't experienced trauma or that their, like, relationship with you is not going to be impacted. And a trauma-informed approach to inquiry and in, like, representing other people or advocating for other people I think is is uh like beneficial even if your client has not experienced trauma right like it can be helpful just in terms of like building trust and a relationship that's sound between the two of you while you're in like attorney-client relationship for
0: sure um so the next question that I have is just um it's two parts so what benefits do you and t visas provide and which in practice do you see more of
2: so um so u visas give you status right so if you're undocumented and you get a u you are now in status and and if you your u visa is valid for, oh my goodness, I'm going to space, I think it's valid for two years, um, and then you apply for green card, uh, and then you are a lawful permanent resident, right? So it is status that is also a pathway to citizenship. It allows for derivatives, so you are allowed to include um, your children, your spouse, and your parents, um, which is important and, um, and like I said, like often people are coming to their U visa as a place of like last resort really. Um, and so it, it is, you know, when you think about the reasons why we have UNT visas, it's because the federal you know, like legislators realized that uh, non citizens were particularly vulnerable here in the United States when they experienced crime, you know, were victims or survivors of, of criminal activity for, a multiple, for multiple reasons. One being like cultural and language differences navigating the system. And then the fear of law enforcement generally, right? Because you're here in the United States and if you need a U or a T, you are undocumented. And so you might have additional fear coming to law enforcement to report a crime or coming into court. Um, And due to those reasons, we created these visas to support people who have been victims. And yet, because there's not that many of them and there are all of these requirements to them, they are not sought out until you need them to be. Um, so if you get to that place and you are eligible, they do create this pathway that otherwise would be unavailable, and it's a pathway for you and your immediate family. Um, and in terms of like what I see more, I see far more visas than visas. I think... I've been working in the district attorney's office now for over five years and I have certified maybe three visas, right? Um, And I'm just pulling my U's. I have certified over 400 U visas. Wow. So.
1: Now, I kind of have a personal question for you. I know you said you started out in the PD's office. Um, How and then you had hesitancy in accepting the position in the DA's office. So how has that been for you and have you experienced any personal hardships or moral conflicts in um addressing these UNTVs applications?
2: Right, like having to deny folks. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, for sure. I like I've definitely been frustrated in part, at, like, bad lawyering, you know, because I'll, like, get a request, and, like, it's for a T or a U, usually, that needs, like, a little bit extra help, but the attorney doesn't know what they're doing, and so I think, like, one of the biggest hurdles is that I'm not that person's attorney, and I have ethical duties to not give legal advice, right, so um, I can do things like, hi, uh, I am reviewing your U visa. Uh, I would encourage you to review the requirements. Here's the link, right. Um, that USCIS provides to make sure that you have everything. But like, I can't just be like, Hey, this is never, you know, going to get granted if you don't blah, 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 blah. What are you doing? Um, or tell the person who has that attorney, like, I've also gotten new requests from people that don't have the strong enough, you know, a very strong reputation in the community. And, like, I just have to let those people be represented by those people. And so I definitely, I'm like, Ooh, I'm just super hopeful that this process goes smoothly for them and that everything, you know, falls into place. Um and then it is hard to deny U visas because I know how um hard it is, you know, like having worked as an immigration attorney where folks are my clients, like I have kind of like first hand knowledge about the challenges and difficulties that can be and I know um, that like this is all this person has, like this is, you know, there isn't another path, at least right now for them. Um, and so, you know, it's a bummer. I try to certify everything I can. I do really kind of like keep my focus, like narrowly confined within my requirements is the LEA. So um, I do sign everything um, within the parameters that I'm supposed to certify things, so lots of uh, LEAs, for example, won't certify if somebody has other criminal history or if, like, they like didn't cooperate until you had like got contacted several times for store. You know, like, there's like these other kind of like reasons why they'd be reluctant to certify, and so I'll. You know, if you've got a qualifying crime, if you reported the crime to police, you know, if you check the boxes, I'm going to go ahead and certify. And then if you're represented by somebody who I know does use all the time and it's tricky, I feel confident that, like, they will navigate the rest of your petition for you. Um, and I, like, send my best hopes for the people who are going to need some good advocacy beyond the certification, right? Um, on the more complicated cases.
0: Yeah, I think that that's really interesting to be in that position. Um, And I know that we linked an article from Injustice Watch um, and also I think like a local news report out of Chicago. Right now there's a huge thing happening with the police department um, and the two individuals they have responsible for certifying U visas. They found that they've been certifying them or they've been denying these certifications um, for reasons that maybe were beyond what decisions they should actually be making. Um, and so have have you had a chance to review the articles?
2: Oh yeah, I'm familiar yeah. with what's great
0: so what do you think about what's going on in chicago and um how do we prevent things like this from happening in the future what sort of changes need to be made
2: yeah i mean this is the thing i think um you know they passed this legislation but they like don't require law enforcement to certify these petitions. They're completely optional. And so it's, um, tricky, you know, like there are some law enforcement agencies that are just like overwhelmed. And so they like may get to your UV stuff months down the line. Right. Um, There and it's like it is very common to have additional, like what's happening in Chicago, I think rose to everyone's attention because Chicago is a big city and the number of rejections was really high. But if you kind of like cast the net over the United States about who is making additional like qualifications for UV certification, I wouldn't be surprised if a majority of law enforcement agencies have some discretional criteria that they're following. Um, And I think for lots of different reasons, you know, all the way from people who, like, communities that just don't believe that U visas should be granted, you know, because of some sort of strong anti-immigrant stance to kind of like a welcoming city with a law enforcement agency that just, like, has, value-driven discretionary factors, right? Um, and so I think it's actually pretty common for people to stay within the parameters of, you know, the guidance you can get from USCIS. Um, and when I talk about, like, following it, I, like, literally, there's, like, USCIS gives law enforcement guidance on UNT visas, and, like, that's what I'm following, right? Anything outside of that, like, I'm not concerned with. It's up to the person who's filing the U to deal with. Um, but I think it's hard for people, you know, like, and I think, too, there's just a lot of ignorance about the process, you know, like, um, the amount of, like, training people get on visas is maybe five minutes here and there, you know? So I think Ways to fix it would be like better education and training across the board so that law enforcement agencies really understood why these visas exist, what their job actually is for them. And that, of course, like you're not deciding whether or not somebody is getting a U visa or not. Like that decision is being held by people who are trained to make those decisions. So you can go ahead and certify, you know based on these things, and, like, let somebody else make the decision about whether they should get a U. Um, and then I think the other thing, you know, is that I think there could be local legislation to help support the U visa process. I know that there has been a, some efforts here in Pennsylvania, for example, to have a law passed that gives law enforcement parameters and guidance. Uh, even uh, regarding timing like once you receive a U visa request like you should try and respond within a month you know like um, just so people have some additional uh, rules you know to make, make the rules actually uniform since they're so discretionary right I think that
0: that's a I mean a really great way forward because I think, especially in a lot of rural communities, maybe law enforcement just doesn't have the training or really even understand like why somebody would be applying for a U visa. So they just don't understand their role in the entire application process. Uh, so I think that that's really important. Um, and I also think it's really important for people to. When they can get representation, because like right now, I'm working with a client whose U visa certification has been with law enforcement since April of last year, um, and it's difficult for me to navigate as an attorney. Um, but you add all the things that these survivors are going through um, on top of them trying to get the certifying agency to act and certify an essential piece of their application it's just really like too much so
2: it is well I think that that's sorry that's important too like I know that like it's way easier for me to certify and get out a U visa certification that is competently completed like I ask for people to fill it out And if you have questions about pieces, leave it blank, like I'll review it, you know, but if you need help with the statutory pieces, I can add those, you know, but like, I'm not going to have information on harm the way you are. I'm not going to understand, you know, like I can talk to you about what happened, but that you like, I think the supplement is also written in a really weird way for law enforcement because it's asking questions that aren't really geared toward law enforcement, right? So I think that's part of it. Maybe we should rewrite the supplement that limits the information that they're asking for to just the parts that, like, they're actually asking law enforcement to certify on. Um, because it is, it's a long form. I was familiar with immigration forms coming in, so I knew what a sub B was before I started, but other law enforcement officers are not. Um, And even me, when I get a competently filmed form, I'm like, great, sign it, get it out. But if it's like incorrectly completed um, and I have to like do it all over, it takes me a longer time. Like there's one person who sends a lot of U visa certifications, but they include a lot of opinion in their writing of the certification, you know. And I'm like, this is the law enforcement end of it, you know, like I don't. I don't need a narrative about the harm. I just need you, you know, like they'll write things like they'll fill in the statement of facts for me, but it'll be like, you know, the victim survived an atrocious and horrifying attack when she brutally blah, 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 blah. You know, there's just way too many adjectives, you know, to describe the conduct. I'm like, not here. Like there's a place for that somewhere else in the petition, but right now we just need to talk about what happened. Um, Or they'll say something like, I'm sure she'll be scarred for life. And I'm like, I can't write that down in the harm. Like, you haven't given me any evidence. (laughs) And beyond, right? It's just beyond. So when I get those, right, I have to, like, redo them. And so, like, my turnaround time goes from two weeks to, like, six weeks. Because, you know, I think everybody is really busy. And it is an additional thing you're asking somebody to complete. So... I think the more support survivors have and the more education that law enforcement has, the the better off I think the system will be.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Um, Well, I think that that brings us to the end of the questions that we had for you. We want to thank you so much for joining us today. I think we learned a lot about the inner workings and um, I think it's, important that people seeking a U visa or T visa in Philadelphia have somebody like you certifying um as opposed to somebody like the people who are in Chicago right now um so thank you so much for your work and your dedication to these survivors it's really important
1: Yes, I'm going to second that. Um, and I also think it's very important that we are having these conversations and are kind of dispelling anything or any misconceptions that may be out there. But again, thank you so much for your time.
2: Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: Today, we spoke with Caleb Arnold, who works for the District Attorney's Office of Philadelphia as Immigration Counsel. They filled us in on what U and T visas are the difficulties found in the application process, and talked about changes that can and should be made to better serve immigrant survivors. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, please call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. If you live in Pennsylvania, you can reach out to the Pennsylvania Coalition Against Domestic Violence at PCADV.org. As Caleb emphasized, having representation for all immigration-related matters is vitally important. If you are seeking legal aid to help with any type of immigration claim, you can call HIAS at 1-800-442-7714. And as always, these resources will be listed in our episode summary. We'll see you next week.